You're listening to the Chronicles of Aguna, the Arsenal podcast. I'm Martin Tyler, and you're listening to Harry Simeon. Hello and welcome back to the Canton and Simiu show. It has been a little while, my fault mainly, as always. Uh, Tom, how you doing, mate? It's been a little while. How have you been? Yeah, good, good. I just, to be honest, man, I've just been sitting around thinking, when am I going to do this show? Like, I've been waiting for ages to do this show, and someone's letting me down. Like, what's what's this about? <laughs> uh, it's been it's I'm been joking. a couple of mad weeks. I've got, as you can probably tell, I've got a bit of a man flu, which I'm really struggling with, and. Um, yeah, it's, uh, it's seriously damaged my output over the last sort of week or so, but we're hopefully mm. getting back on the right track. Uh, just before we get into it, before I forget, make sure you head over to the Guna Talk TV uh, and give Tom a subscription. If you haven't done so already, I'm sure most of you have, but make sure you get over mm. there as well and make sure you give uh, the Guna Talk TV a follow on Twitter as well as Tom Canton Media. You can see I'm all over the place because I've forgotten to put the link to the Guna Talk TV in the description, but I will do it um, as soon as the show ends. So if you're watching this on replay, it will be there by the time you get around to it. Get over there, make sure you're subscribed. Uh, Tom, what have you been up to for the last couple of weeks, man? How's it been? Oh, man. Yeah, I, well, I had COVID uh, a couple of weeks ago, uh, which sucked um, for my other half. Not so much for me. Uh, I was actually got off quite, yeah, quite scot-free, but no, she really suffered with it. But besides that... Yeah, no, just working, as you say, the same, same as yourself, just grafting and, and doing the daily shows and, of course, Football London and stuff. So it's been hectic. Uh, what's frustrating is that we don't have these games midweek. Um, but if it's down to UEFA, and we'll talk about this later, I'm sure, we'll have a game every other day. So it's going to be wonderful. Yeah. <laughs> Crazy, isn't it? I, I was going to ask you that. that. That was something I had on my little list of things to talk about. Mm. How have you found this season as a content creator? Because we've gone from... Thursday, Sunday, Thursday, Sunday, Thursday, Sunday, and lots of stuff mm. in between to chat about to sometimes having two weeks without a game. I've struggled with it. I, I've I've got to the point where I don't just want to make content for the sake of it. So I've mm. kind of stepped back a little bit in terms of what I'm putting out. How have you kind of coped with it? I know you still do stuff daily, but how's it been in terms of finding stuff to talk about and, and stuff that you believe is valid? Yeah, I know what you mean. Like the, the the benefit of being an Arsenal fan is that you're never short of of news or controversy quite often. Um, and so the eight AM shows have continued, and you know we've we've covered all the links, but we've been very kind of honest about. I've been rather very kind of honest about how legitimate I think some of the links are. So we've we've discussed kind of that. Um, but yeah, from an Arsenal fan perspective, it's it's annoyingly barren at times, and I hate the gaps in between games. I don't think it's helped, of course, that we've seen fixtures like the Liverpool game scheduled when the Carabao Cup final is, or when Chelsea have had their Club World Cup, so we've been a bit unfortunate there. Uh, but, I mean, you do get the feeling we've obviously gone past this Omicron period as well, where games are being cancelled left, right and centre, so that seems to be getting back to, to, to more close to normality now, which is, which is positive. But content-wise, it's been it's been a bit of a struggle and I think there's been a lot of kind of conversations that I've say done on the judges channel or the Arsenal lounge or with Sophie and, and you now yourself that you do find yourself talking about like kind of the same kind of topics because you know, we've, we've, 
there's not too much going on. So there is that. And I think that the main thing has always been around Arteta still. And Arteta's kind of dominated things in his contract situation and, and how split we are and how some people are changing their minds. Some people certainly don't want to change their minds or don't feel like they've seen enough to change their minds. But yeah, I mean, how about yourself? How have you dealt with the, the gluttony of, or lack of gluttony, I suppose? Of this yeah, it's, it's been shit, um, to be honest. I've, <laughs> I, to That's what it, I meant to, to frankly, say when yeah. I just went on that monologue. Was, yeah, <laughs> to put shit. it frankly, yeah, it, it's, been a, it's been a bit difficult. I've, I've enjoyed it on the one hand because I think that some of the gaps and breaks that we've had have A, benefited the team and benefited the work that Mikel Arteta is doing. So obviously that's what matters at the end of the day. We want the team to succeed. And I think that some of these breaks have given us opportunities maybe to work on things on the training ground and, and have the rest that the players needed. But mm. from our perspective, yeah, it's been tough. It's been a bit of a slog, but I've decided not to stress myself out about it and not to tr like force content that is, you know, yeah. not really working. So yeah, um, it's been okay. It's been strange, but I'm sure hopefully fingers crossed next season we'll be uh, back to the stage that we were at previously where everything was coming thick and fast and we were begging for a break. So yeah, you can't you can't complain too much. No. Um, big game coming up this weekend, Tom. Um, massive game coming up this weekend. Actually, before I do that, I, I should have done this right at the beginning. Um, I have to say, I have to pay tribute uh, to the former Australian cricketer, Shane Warne, um, who sadly passed away. The news broke earlier today. Um, I, I wanted to do this at the top of the show, uh, so I apologise that I didn't get it in right at the beginning. We just got going in the conversation, in the flow of things. Uh, but Shane Warne, of course, sadly passed away. Uh, it's a suspected heart attack. And I, I'm not a massive cricket fan, but even I know what an impact Shane Warne had on the sport and um, and how big he was as a character and, and a sort of inspiration to people that followed that particular sport. I was really lucky to speak to Shane Warne on a radio show uh, out in New Zealand not that long ago, maybe three, four weeks ago, if that. Um, so to hear of this is, is really shocking. And I know there are a lot of people in our chat that are both football and cricket fans. So, uh, it'd be wrong of me to ignore mm. uh, that news and not mention it on this show. But going back to what I was saying, big game coming up this weekend, Watford away. Uh, everybody's making us strong favorites granted because we are where we are in the league and Watford are down, uh, languishing in the relegation fight. But, there's a tiny part of me, Tom, that is going into this game thinking, got to be alert here. Could be a banana skin. Yeah, absolutely. And not just because of the colour of the shirt either. <laughs> hey. um, look, I think that when it comes down to a team like Watford, we know that they can be a threat. We know that they can frustrate us. They've done it in the past. And I know that they've got a lot of different players since that time that we we cost ourselves a two-goal lead and we had the famous Matteo Genduzzi doing the 2-0 and, and, and stuff like that. But look we need to make sure that we keep the momentum up. And I think we have reason to be confident going into games because there is an element of, you know, confidence about this side and motivation about this team. I don't get an arrogance feeling from this team. Like I used to get that arrogance about Arsenal, like they're going to certain games like this, as they did seemingly in that time where we lost that two-goal lead, where they just thought they were going to win and the game was kind of won already. I don't get that from this young side and I don't get it from a Mikel Arteta side either. And I think maybe that's that accountability that's been instilled into the team is, is helping us win the games that we should win. And I think that's why when you look across the season, the teams that we've really dropped points in, again, they've been from games that you wouldn't have, you probably would have expected us to drop points in like Liverpool and Chelsea and Manchester City twice. And we do need to, uh, to change that. But one of the big things that cost us 
last season was that we were dropping big points to teams that we really, really shouldn't have done. And that's the change that this needs to be. And so I have that level of confidence about us going to a game. We've just done the double over Wolves, which is not something we've done for nine seasons, which is, shows how big of an achievement that is. I think the 2-1 scoreline didn't reflect how dominant we were against Brentford. I think that if we'd have come out of a 2-0 win, we would have said that still would have flattered the opponent. We should have won that by more. We're creating chances. The big thing, Harry, for us, isn't it? It's just finishing those chances and whether or not we can rely on Lacazette to, to finish those chances and maybe changing a couple of personnel, especially in the forward line, could enable us to be better finishers? Yeah, I think so. I think that we just need uh, that ruthless centre-forward who brings you all the things that Alexander Lacazette does in and around the box, but also the threat inside it, which obviously we've discussed a million and one times. He, he does lack at times. Um, big talking point going into this game is whether or not Nicolas Pepe deserves a start because he came on and had a huge impact against Wolves in our last Premier League outing. Do you think he's done enough to uh, warrant a place on the team sheet or in the starting lineup at least? I would have absolutely no issue seeing Saki given a rest in this game and, and Pepe thrown in. Um, I think that what Pepe did in the Wolves game was came on and showed Mikel Arteta why he can add something to this team. Um, I've been very critical of Pepe. I think rightfully so. I don't think I've been overly critical. I don't think I've like kind of hung him out to dry or anything like that. I think that he's been worthy of criticism and I have expected more from him. And I think there's there can be a little bit of a cult following at times around Pepe, the same as sometimes you see with Saliba. It does often come from the perspective of, of people that maybe want Arteta out and they look at Pepe as someone who's being necessarily treated not the most generously by Arteta. And so maybe that lends into to singling him out as someone who deserves more minutes. I don't really see it that way. I think that Bukai Saka has been basically undroppable on that right-hand side. And Pepe has not been able to give Arteta what he wants from that right wing position enough. And so that's why Saka has been playing most of the games. But against Wolves, he came on and made a huge impact on the game and was directly attributed to that three points that we gained. And so if there's ever a chance to play him, especially when you consider some of the fixtures that are coming up, now's the chance. However, saying that, my expectation is that Saka will still start this game and that Saka will start and Pepe will come off the bench. Whether that's fair, I don't know. What is fair when you're trying to chase the Champions League place? You play your best team. But in any other side, he'd probably be starting this one, wouldn't he? Yeah, I, I, I wouldn't mind seeing him starting. But I, like you, agree that Mikel Arteta is probably going to go with Bukayo Saka. I, I don't think there's mm -hmm. any question about it. I think in the final third, Nicolas Pepe is an incredibly effective player. Talking about a guy last season that managed, I think, 16 goals across all competitions. I think he got five or six assists in and among that as well. And outside of Aubameyang and Lacazette last season, nobody got anywhere near that. So in that aspect, he's definitely key. But I think there have always been question marks in Mikel's mind around whether he'll do the tracking back, whether he'll do the tactical work, the pressing, and all the other bits and pieces that Mikel Arteta regards as his non-negotiables. I think for that reason, I still find it difficult to sit here and say that he will get ahead of Saka in the pecking order in any way, shape or form. But I do think he's someone that when a game is tight, can come on and bring you an unpredictability on the right-hand side, uh, a bit of difference. You know, I, I think Saka's great, but if I had one criticism of Bukayo Saka, it would still be that I don't think he scores enough goals. And I don't think he, you know, produces enough direct assists. If, if you compare him to Smith Rowe this season, I think Smith Rowe has, has outperformed Saka in that sense this season as well. So it's it's one part of Saka's game that 
I think he could do with improving on. And I think he's looked a bit run down of late, Bukayo Saka. I think he's run out of steam. The question is, though, given we've had such a long break, you know, we haven't played for over a week. That That's what makes me think that Saka will continue in the team, right? Because yeah. he would have had ample time to recover. Yeah, I, I think that if it was a case of where we've got like a, a Europa League fixture or a midweek Premier League fixture, Pepe probably would come in. Um, but as you say, because we've had like this nine days rest, there's all the the expectation that, that Saka will continue to play. While you were talking, I was just trying to have a look at some of the statistics behind kind of Pepe. And I mean, we talk about Saka's output not necessarily being as, as high as it could be. But, I mean, Pepe's best goal-scoring season in the Premier League was in 2021 um, under Mikel Arteta, where he scored 10 goals. And Bukayo Saka this season already has seven. So, like, we talk about Nicolas Pepe being, like, such a much better, you know, goal-scorer. But Saka's not far off matching that. And I think that a lot of Pepe's goals and goal contributions did come in the Europa League as well. And that does kind of skew the the narrative around where Pepe is so deadly. Don't get me wrong. I think Pepe is still the best finisher. Like you put him into a goal scoring position, I'd, I'd bank on him pretty much over anyone else in the team to put the chance away. It's just his own ability and, and thinking and intelligence to get into those positions enough that I have an issue with. His first touch is, is not good enough. When he's actually got the ball under his spell, he's great, but he's actually getting it under his spell, which can be a bit of a challenge for him at times. And it can be a bit, a little bit like pinball when the ball hits him and it goes too far and his touch is too heavy. Whereas Bakai Saka is a lot more, is a lot more adept. He's not more in control of what he wants to do with the ball than, than Pepe can be. So I think there is maybe a little bit of a hyperbole around how much Pepe contributes goal-wise and how far away Saka is. I think Saka's getting a lot closer than maybe people are getting, giving him credit for. I mean, you look at the goal that he scored uh, against Brentford, the, the left-footed strike, and he's I mean, he scored some great goals this season. I think away from home against Leeds, that finish with his left foot was excellent. Norwich, I think, as well. There was a goal in that game. Look, I, he has been really solid for us goal-scoring-wise this season. The, the big interest for me, though, is who starts on the left as well, Harry, because, you know, we've got a situation where, and that's my TV going on the standby where I was just bathed in a blue light there. Um, but we've also got... Oh, the situation. police were coming again. <laughs> <laughs> He's producing too much bad content. No, um, when it comes down to that left-hand side, Martinelli's now back. Smith-Rowe's also back. I go with Smith-Rowe, personally. What about you? Yeah, me too. Um, just because... Well, there's a couple of reasons. First of all, I feel like Smith Rowe is still, he's still at, a, I think he's at a point where he can be the difference maker more often than Gabriel Martinelli can be. Just because of that goal output that we're talking about this season. The fact that he brings a little bit more sophistication to our game, I think at times as well. I think Martinelli is great when you get him to isolate the fullback and come in off that left-hand yeah. side and take people on and, you know, be very kind of all action. I think Emil Smith-Rowe has got a little bit more guile, a little bit more kind of technical quality. And I think he's able to kind of undo defences um, a little bit easier. And I just think that he gives us overall more. That's not to say that Martinelli isn't great and that I, you know, I want in an ideal world, they'd all be in the team, but it doesn't work like that. And for the sake of balance, I think that you can only really go with one at this moment in time. And I think that Emil Smith-Rowe, based on his performances thus far this season, he he warrants being in the starting lineup for me. Yeah, I also think that his relationship with Kieran Tierney is a lot better than Martinelli. And I think Tierney actually plays a lot more 
uh, offensively and coherently, uh, not coherent, co- co- cohesively than uh, than what we have seen when he's played with Martinelli, because Martinelli tends to stick to the touchline a lot more, whereas where Tinney likes to overlap on the outside, he can't do that as much with Martinelli. But with Smith-Rowe, because of his tendency to, to go inside and play more closer to the number 10 role, it allows Tinney that extra space and they link up much better. But yeah, Smith-Rowe for me is is the absolute obvious starter. I also think that what Martinelli can bring from the bench is also good. We saw that against Newcastle when he came on playing on the right-hand side. There's no reason why he can't offer something. And I don't see the need to try and get Erdegaard, Smith-Rowe, Martinelli and Saka all into the same team. I don't have that you know, necessity to do it. I think that we've tried to do that. And even against a team like Burnley, it's not necessarily been able to break the opposition down. And having other options from the bench and maybe giving yourself more variety can make you a little bit more unpredictable and dangerous. So yeah, Smith rolled all day for me, but uh, it's, it's whoever's in the scoring opportunities just needs to take their chances against Watford. Otherwise, we will end up dropping points. I think it depends on the opponent that you're playing against as well. And I expect mm, yeah. Watford, even though they're at home, to be very deep, to play with a low block. Roy Hodgson's the manager, for God's sake. You know what you're going to get. So I do think that, as I said, in this type of fixture that, yeah, I'm with you. Smith Rowe's got to be the starter. But Martinelli has different qualities that are probably going to be more useful and more suitable in, in certain other types of fixtures. Just not this one for me. Um, there are lots of questions in the chat box. Guys, Keep hold of the questions just so they don't get lost in the chat. And uh, we will do a Q&A bit towards the end of the show. So um, hold fire on those questions and we'll work our way through as many of those as we possibly can. Just a quick reminder as well, if you're with us live at the moment or watching this on replay, make sure you hit that like button and subscribe to the channel if you're new. Make sure you head over to the Guna Talk TV as well and give Tom a subscribe also uh, for those 8 a.m. shows. 8 a.m. That is dedication, man. This man wakes up at what six, six thirty a.m. Yeah, that's morning. mainly the missus' fault though of her alarm. To be fair, <laughs> <laughs> so if anything, it's, it's she's the reason why we do the a.m. show because she gets me up at that time. Yeah, got to got to start wearing earplugs. I think, mate. Um, <laughs> Mikey B uh, makes a good point about Nicholas Pepe. Of course, he's recently become a dad. Um, and he says a new baby, the lacquer as captain, and a synergy of the team palpably improving. I think it's. It, this is affecting it and having a, a, a clear thing on, on an impressionable Nicolas Pepe. And he says, can you speak to the new baby effect, H? The new baby effect is this. For about three days, four days, and I understand that that Wolves game was like a day after Pepe had had a baby, you feel like you're on top of the world. And you, you're sitting there and you're going, no sleep. Who needs sleep? It doesn't matter. And then you crash. <laughs> and you crash and you never, ever recover until they're about five. So um, it's only it's only down for Nicholas. You're not Pepe selling it to me very well, mate. mate like. <laughs> honestly, honestly, mate. Uh, earlier today, I had a little bit of a break in, in terms of work, a couple of hours. And I thought, oh, I'll do something with a kid. You know, my little boy, he's, he used to be the center of attention. The second one's come along and he's been... You know, they, they play up. You know how it is. Mm, Took yeah. him to this soft play place and thought, oh, it's all right. I'll sit and have a coffee. And you just leave him to it, right? And you just yeah. sit and you do your emails and you have your coffee. Nightmare. Never again. Never taking him ever Why? again. Why was it so bad? I could take him. Because it's just screaming kids everywhere, running <laughs> out of there, coming and telling you that this kid touched me. This kid bumped into me. This kid won't let me go on the slide. And then some random kid gets stuck right in the top of the soft play thing. And then a parent has to climb in there and get it. It's just a nightmare. I was like, we better go before I end up having to climb in there. But anyway, awful stuff. 
um, yeah, I'm not selling it very well. <laughs> Another point, though, that I did want to discuss going into this Watford game, Tom, is the ongoing fitness issues regarding Takahiro Tomiyasu. Been mm. such an important player for us this season. And I think, first of all, I'll get your opinion on this part. I think that if Cedric plays every week and continues to play, we probably will get found out in that position. Um, before we go on to Tomiyasu, then, do you agree with me that Cedric is someone who, although he's played quite well for the last three or so weeks, there's still big doubts about? Yeah, absolutely. Um, defensively, he's questionable, always. Um, and you can never really look to Cedric and say that I would... I would have him as my right back to challenge for the top four. I just, I just wouldn't. And uh, when it comes down to what Tommy Asu has done this season, he's not only improved the right back position, but he's changed the right back position for Arsenal. He has made it a very different animal to what we've previously come to expect from players like uh, Hector Bellerin, for instance, who've been very ultra attacking and you know questions defensively. But regarding Tomiyasu, he's more disciplined. He sits in, he's really consistent defensively and can offer things going forward. Maybe not as much as what Bellerin did or what Cedric even can. But that part of his game's definitely improved over the course of the season while he's been given more kind of responsibility by, by Mikel Arteta. But injuries-wise, I mean, it's not uncommon for him to have had injuries. I was just looking back over his injury history at Bologna and in 2019-20, he missed eight games through two separate muscle injuries, one being a hamstring, the other one being a biceps issue, which is strange. Or it's called biceps femoris. Is that a leg problem? Because I think biceps is arms, but maybe, I mean, I'm not an expert in physiotherapy, so maybe it's different. I'll, I'll tell you. Uh, it is uh, a muscle in the back of the thigh, which helps to flex the oh. leg. There you go. So it's a thigh issue he's got now. So it's clearly a, a recurrence of that. He then had, in 2021, uh, last season, he missed 10 games uh, because of a calf injury and then a muscular problem. Um, it's He's going to have these injury issues. that, And it's not uncommon. Like We've been very, very lucky this season um, with injuries. And we've looked back on previous seasons of how we've lost players. We've only lost Granit Xhaka of all of our players for a long period. And he's come back relatively stronger. Uh, I spoke to, it's funny that Jonathan Octo in the chat box saying we need Dr. Raj in here. I spoke to Dr. Raj on the Arsenal way uh, last week about Tommy Asu because it's the other calf that he's injured. And it's very common that once you injure one calf because you're using the other one a lot more and you're putting more strain on it, that the other one can, can get injured and that's what's happened. Thankfully, what will happen is both of them will, fingers crossed, come back stronger after the injury and they should have a period of consistency. But we're going to have to deal with this. And if anything, what it tells us, Harry, is that we need to make sure in the summer that we address this and that we sign someone that's going to improve the depth of quality in that area even better than Cetra. Yeah, for sure. So going back to Tommy Ashley, like you mentioned that it's not uncommon for him to pick up muscle injuries and it is something that we're going to deal with. But the, the whole thing around this, it, it leads me to feel a little bit suspicious. Uh, suspicious in the sense of, maybe we're not getting the full story at the moment because it's every week it's, well, you know, he's back training and he's in contention. Oh, he's not ready. And then the next week comes along. Well, oh, what could it be? What do you think Sorry. it is? I, I don't know. Do they know that it's a, a bigger problem than they're letting on? I, I just don't know. I, in the past, we've had this with Arsenal. Maybe this is me being burnt from the past where <laughs> players have been out and they said, oh, he'll be back in two weeks and six months later, he's still on the treatment table. It just, for me, it maybe it's a bit of anxiety caused by the fact that I feel like if we have to play the remainder of the campaign, and I'm not saying he's going to be out for the rest of the season, but we have to play a significant chunk of the, what, 14 games remaining. Mm. 
with Cedric. That worries me. It concerns me. Yeah, it concerns me too. And I think maybe it is a little bit of the Arsenal paranoia that's creeping in. But I, I do think it is is a minor issue. I think it's it's common to see the other calf go uh, when, when one calf has been injured. And as I say there, he's got a history of injuries from Bologna as well. And it's rare that you get a whole season without anyone having any issues or without even any just specific player getting no issues throughout the entire campaign. I'm hopeful that he'll be back uh, for the Leicester game um, and that hopefully he should be returned to fitness by then. I don't think he's trained yet uh, ahead of the game on Sunday. So Mikel Arteta tends to be quite coy. And if, you, if he tells you that a player's a doubt, it usually means that either they're definitely out or they're definitely fit. It's, it's They're never just a doubt. He doesn't like to give too much away. So you can't really take too much on that. But as far as I'm aware, he's not yet trained. So I don't think he'll be available for, for Watford, but he could be back for the Leicester game. But yeah, maybe, maybe temper the paranoia slightly with this one. Yeah, I'm trying. I'm not doing a very good job of it. <laughs> Not doing a very good job of it at all. Um, let's go over to our poll because we did put a poll in the live chat at the start of the show. And the question was, going back to what we were talking about with Nicolas Pepe, does Nicolas Pepe deserve a start against Watford? 65% of you say yes. 35% of you say no. But 65% of you say he deserves a start. But how many of you think he'll actually get it? Let us know in the chat as well because that's those are two different things, right? He deserves a place in the team because he came on and had a huge impact yeah. against Wolves. But is he going to get a place in the starting 11? I don't think so. Going into this match, Tom, we, we talked earlier on about the break and the fact that we've had a long period of time since our last game. Does that disrupt momentum in some ways? Because it's being used as something to put in Arsenal's favour this season when talking about their chance in the top four. People keep saying, mm. you're only playing one game a week and you've had all these breaks. Can it disrupt momentum though? Can it have what I'm saying? Can it have an adverse effect too? I think it can, especially psychologically, if your rivals are all winning during those games. But I think the benefit for Arsenal this season is that, you know, those teams like Man United and Spurs have been dropping points. So if anything, during the time off, you're seeing your rivals drop points. That's going to give you a boost. That's going to give you that not sense of like, we got nothing to lose because there's everything to lose, but a sense of like that the pressure's a little bit less than than if say they were winning every week and that you had to come back and that extra additional pressure on your shoulders, knowing you we have to win this game because United have won and Spurs have won and West Ham have won, but they are dropping points and they are getting knocked out of competitions by lower league opposition, which obviously happened to us and that puts into context as well. I mean, Man United and Spurs have now both been knocked out by a Championship side in the FA Cup, like we were, so we haven't necessarily got that stigma against us that that only happened to us this season. So that's, I think, helped. But you're right in suggesting it and bringing it up because the longer you're kind of waiting for that next game and you aren't getting that that dopamine kind of boost that you do when you win football matches. I mean, I'm hoping that the Wolves win gave us enough dopamine to last us for the end of next season, to be honest, because it was so great. But yeah, it's it's a worthy point to raise. Do you, do you then, are you then concerned that, that we are going to find a little bit of stagnation because we're not playing so often? I think you lose a bit of rhythm. I think you lose a bit of rhythm. I, I do. I, I think it's great that people get the opportunity to get fit again and get sharp again and maybe take a couple of days out and, and go and do something else and take your mind off it and relax because I think that's really important. But I do think that you you can lose a little bit of rhythm as well. And I think it can sometimes contribute to slow starts. When you have that break, I think you can then have a slow start when you do come back until you kind of find your gears again. And I thought at the beginning of the Wolves game, although... 
we started with quite a bit of aggression in terms of the way we pressed. There were clearly lapses in concentration that we were seeing. You know, there was a couple of silly moments. There was the moment that led to the opening goal, which was bad, bad defensive play from Arsenal. So there is a concern around that for me, for sure. Let's take it away from Arsenal just briefly, and then we'll come back and get some questions in. So pop your questions in the live chat box while we do this part of the show. Um, and we will come up, uh, come back, sorry, and pick up as many of those as we possibly can. But I wanted to get you guys' thoughts and Tom's thoughts on the new Champions League format that we're hearing about. I mean, let's let's um, let me just bring up what this Champions League format entails. Um, I did have this up on the screen. I must have accidentally closed it as being the consummate professional that I am but I, I don't know about this Tom this this stinks for me let me just uh, bring people up to speed uh, so the UEFA uh, uh, Champions League will change format from the 2024-25 season there'll be 36 teams in the competition now instead of 32 I don't really have an issue with that it's four extra teams big deal Depends group on stages are. are replaced by one big league table each team plays 10 games in the first phase um, which will be five at home, five away, a hundred additional games, which is what it's all about. It's about extra revenues, about extra money. The top eight sides in the league will qualify automatically for the knockout stage. And then teams finishing ninth to 24th will compete in two legged playoffs to secure their path to the last 16. So here are my issues with it, right? I don't like this idea of you going into a 36 team league playing 10 games how is it decided who you play against seeded it's seeded on historical merit is how it's done okay so it's seeded on historical merit mm -hmm. so you basically end up with a load of shit games in which you know what the outcome is going to be already okay each team um as i said yeah plays the 10 games in the league the top eight sides in the league phase will qualify automatically okay but why should a team that finish in 24th place out of this 36-team league, still be in with a shot of making it through. I mean, the beauty of a group stage is that if there are one or two shock results in that group, it then puts you in a position where you can move forward. Um, yeah. I, and that's the, the beauty of it. But in this scenario where you've got to play 10 games, for me, an underdog doesn't stand a chance because you might pull off a brilliant result one night maybe two, but you're still going to end up falling outside of that top eight. I, I don't like this. Tom, convince me otherwise, because I know you're not dead uh, against it. Yeah, look, I can't, I don't think I can convince you. I, I'm just not against it. Um, I'm not like ripping up the, the bench sheets about this, to be honest. I, I think that, I think it's better. I think that the, the Swiss league system is better than the group stage because you, you said they're like, yeah, we're going to have shit fixtures and stuff like that. But look, I think that the group stage gets really tedious. I think there are a lot of tedious games in the Champions League group stage. I think what this does is it provides more uh, motivation across more of those games um, in that first phase of the competition than what we've seen in, in the last two or three group stage fixtures. Like for If you think back to when we were in it, which is such a blissful thing to do um, when we were in the Champions League, that we had one big, really big fixture. It was usually against, at the start, it wasn't really against anyone because we were there in pot one and, you know, we didn't have to worry about playing against Bayern and Barca. But when it was the period when we had the Bayerns and Barca's in our group 
Um, they had that game, and then we were expected to beat the, the third and fourth pot teams uh, in that, which, by the way, of course, those groups are drawn out based upon the seeding of the pot. So there's not really that much difference between the seeding fixtures of, of the league. What The way in which it's, it's slightly fairer of how they do the fixtures in the seeding system is that even though you're only playing 10 games of a possible, I think, 70 that you would play in, say, a, a, a whole season of playing 35 of the sides, um, is that because it's seeded, the level of competition between those teams and those further down the table should equal out across the table. The issue is, is that they're seeding it based on historical merit. So Man United are not, in my opinion, one of the top eight teams in the world right now, but they will definitely be in the top eight of uh, of the Champions League because of historical merit, because the amount of times they've won the competition. AC Milan, another team that probably will be in that top eight because the amount of times they've won the Champions League. I don't think they're in the top eight teams in the world right now. So that's, that is an issue, um, and that is a problem, and granted. And that's why I said I'm not going to sit here and try and convince you that it's a good idea because I'm not sitting here and saying, oh, I love this new format. I'm just saying I'm not against the idea of change because the Champions League in itself was something that was changed from the European Cup. It's an evolution of that competition. We've grown to like it and love it in some cases, but it is, it's still a change from what the original European Cup was. And we will get used to this change. And it's not like we have too much say. It's not like the Super League situation where we protested because that was the clubs in control of that, whereas this is an independent party. And I, that is also another key thing that differentiates this from the Super League and that I'm in favour of is that it continues under a third-party banner. We can all have our discussions about UEFA and quite rightly, but I'd rather it was a third-party organisation looking over the competition than, you know, the Super League being held by Florentino Perez and Anjan. <laughs> so, yeah, that, that's better in that sense. I agree with that, that it's better that it's in the hands of UEFA than power-hungry club presidents. I agree with that. But I just want to go back to one point that you made, and this yeah, is yeah. my big problem with this thing, right? We talk about tedious games in the Champions League group stage. That's six match days. Yeah. Okay. And we That's got ten. <laughs> exactly. That's six match days where, you know, probably the first few are quite interesting. I think until you, when you get to match day three or four, you start to get to the point where the groups are shaping up. It's pretty clear who's going through and who's not. And then I understand why it becomes a little bit tedious. But why are we adding 100 additional games then to this competition when our our gripe with the current competition you know is that why. there's really too many? Yeah, you know the that, answer. <laughs> that's the thing. It, it, it just dilutes it. Like, I love Champions League nights. Even when we haven't been in it, I make a point of not doing anything on a Champions League night. I want to sit there and watch Champions League football. And I mm. have the, you know, the, the luxury of with Arsenal not being in it, that I get to sit and look around and decide which game it is that I want to watch. And I can guarantee you that on a lot of those nights, I ain't going to want to watch any of them. So th this is my thing. You know, Arsene Wenger keeps banging on. And I know Arsene Wenger's not got anything to do with UEFA. He's with FIFA. and But he keeps saying that we need, and, and it's why he's proposing different things and different World Cups and two-year World Cups. The, the constant thing that we get from them is people want to see more competitive football matches. People want to see more high-quality competition. So adding 100 more games to a competition that if you had one criticism of, and I actually think the Champions League format currently is fine, but mm. if there was one format, it's that there are a few tedious games at the back end of the group stage. So to add another 100 games into a competition, which are likely to be a good percentage of are going to be just a shit, 
it, it just doesn't make sense to me. It, I, I don't know. Yeah. I don't like it. Yeah, no, there, and there are issues. Uh, and uh, yeah, the coll- my colleague, my ex colleague at 101 Great Girls, Ben Browning, I'm sure a lot of you follow on Twitter, is um, he raised the point about the the extra games that actual teams will have to play because you're playing four more matches in the first phase compared to the current group stage. And I get that, and it's going to encourage bigger spending, and it's going to encourage you know teams to to strengthen their their wider squads, and there's going to be more pressure on players and coaches. I imagine the five substitutions are always going to continue. I think FIFA and, and PGMOL have confirmed that that will, you know, just continue. The Premier League haven't yet adopted it or chosen to adopt it for next season, but it will continue in, in Europe. Uh, so that would technically help. And I think teams would get bigger squads in any way. But look, it's it's going to happen. It's As I say, it's not like the Super League where you're going to see them back out. UEFA are going to go ahead with this. There's going to be... I doubt you'll see much backlash, to be honest. I don't, I really don't think there's going to be too much backlash on it at all. Um, the backlash will be, as I say, that people are fine with the Champions League as it is right now, and we were fine with it eventually after it changed in the European Cup, and we'll be fine with this eventually when it changes because the only competitive issue is the extra four teams because I assumed that when they announced that it would be you know some other leagues um, being brought into things or other countries but it's not uh, and from the 2021 press uh, publication of those they did say that there could be say the top five from from a league which in the, it would be the Premier League like it would be a, the fifth place team in the Premier League would also qualify and the other teams based on historical merit so say if Barcelona miss out or Real Madrid miss out because they weren't good at that season and they didn't get into the top four of La Liga they would still qualify that's not right and that's not fair on other teams if you're going to expand it expand it to other leagues expand it to other clubs expand it to other countries where say their finances aren't anywhere near as beneficial from because they don't have access to that competition. Don't give it to another already rich club in another league like the Premier League. So that side of it is a bit hypocritical of all the, you know, the the comments from uh, Sheferin on on the Super League. It's there is some hypocritical statements there. Yeah, definitely. And and the more revenue these clubs earn, the wider the gap becomes between those clubs in the Champions League and those aspiring to be in it which obviously has a negative impact. You talk about yeah. the bigger squads. Look, I, if you've got a big squad, you've got a big squad. I'm a big believer that it should be three subs and not five. I know people talk about player mm. welfare and I totally yeah. get that. But I think in terms of the integrity of the competition, it, it's it's not fair when you've got five subs because you're yeah, a big club with a much deeper squad. You can impact the game five times from your substitutes bench. And, and having the three subs keeps it quite level or as level as it can be mm-hmm. in the sense of you might have a stockpile of great players, but you can only bring three on. And I think that's yeah. really important. And I'm actually glad the Premier League have stuck with that, but I think they'll probably give in as well mm. due to the the fixture pileup. That's the thing in it, that the fixture pileup, it, it's going to be crazy, man. Like how many games are you asking these guys to play? It's I just think it's mad and it's completely unrealistic to expect that. Are we at the point now then, Tom, where the English authorities have to consider scrapping the League Cup or make changing the criteria of the League Cup, i.e. not having the Champions League uh, teams in it at all? Because mm. we're the only country with two domestic cup competitions. Well, and France been, does as well, doesn't it? Uh, I, I'm not Is sure. Is that the Coupe de la Ligue and the... Um, Possibly. And the French Cup. Right. Yeah. You could be right. I, I, I'll admit I'm not 100% sure on that. But do have we reached that point now? Because 
you're in a place where you know we don't want to lose our cup, but you know how many games you get, how many competitions can you play in when the demand is so great? Yeah, I agree with you. I think that look, that will start to be discussed without a shadow of a doubt. They will they will start to discuss how the League Cup is and, and whether it's worth those teams being in it. It will depend on the Premier League's perception of the importance of more Premier League sides being in the Champions League or the competitiveness of Premier League games affected by more games in Europe. Um, I I really do think that the expectations on players is growing to an admittedly ridiculous level um at the same time there's plenty of evidence out there suggesting that player fitness is is always on the up always improving that players careers are being extended and that say the age of 30 is no longer kind of a twilight zone and that actually players are playing well into their mid-30s with relative ease and it shouldn't be looked at as kind of this cutoff point when you hit your 30th birthday anymore so whilst that's improving i can understand it but look we've seen in sport players have these health issues. Christian Eriksen comes to mind from the Euros. Look, football needs to do more to protect its players and to stop things like that happening and giving them more matches is is not going to help. So I think there is a focus that needs to be drawn. There is awareness that needs to be raised and they need to make these decisions um, taking in all of the evidence that's on offer. Uh, if they deem it not an issue and they can prove that, then as I say, I've got no issue with it. But whilst there is evidence that these extra gains would cause undue stress on the players that are already there, then then they need to consider that. They won't, but they need to. <laughs> yeah, they really, really do. Okay, let's take some of your questions from the live chat before we wrap up. Just a quick reminder, make sure you hit the like button if you haven't done so already. We're around about 30-odd away from hitting the magic 100 mark. So please do uh, hit that like button if you haven't done so already. Make sure you're subscribed to this channel and, of course, to Tom's The Guna Talk TV. The link will be in the description. Make sure you get yourself over there and subscribe too. Uh, just a quick reminder that we are currently in partnership with our good friends over at Football Prizes. And uh, the latest Arsenal offering is this Ben White signed and custom framed football boot. And you can enter this competition for just £5.95. The link is in the description below. We were talking about Ben White on our show earlier on today about how much he's come along, how much he's won the hearts over of the Arsenal faithful. So why not enter this competition? Thank you to Football Prizes uh, for supporting the Chronicles of Aguna. And as I say, you can find the link in the description. It'll make one hell of a gift uh, for an Arsenal supporting friend. Okay, right. Let's um, let's take some of uh, these questions. Let's start this. Uh, Matt G says, Harry, why do you hate Jonathan David and think he's the worst striker in the world? There's a bit of tongue in cheek in this. And this is because mm. I wrote an article last week. I know week. why it is. <laughs> <laughs> I wrote an article last week in which I said that I don't think Jonathan David is the answer for Arsenal. That's not because I don't rate the guy. It's not because I think he's utter shit. That's not what I said in the article. I just don't think he's the right fit in my personal opinion. Now, Tom, Tell me I'm wrong and tell me why I'm wrong. And uh, and, and one of our members, Moss, who's a massive Jonathan David fan, yeah, has been, love Moss. he's been really upset with me over these last couple of weeks. I've actually noticed uh, he hasn't been hitting me up in the Discord server lately. I think he's upset. So tell me why I'm wrong. If I'm well, wrong. First of all, Moss is a great guy. <laughs> he's in my Discord server as well. And uh, look, I I think that... The difference with Jonathan David is that 
You're right in saying that he alone is not the answer. And I think that's the caveat with this, that he alone is not the answer. And that's why I've called on Arsenal to make sure that they go out and sign two quality strikers in the summer. We need to see uh, Patrick Schick, in my opinion, a player of that ilk, that physicality, that aerial threat, that goal threat, and a Jonathan David. I'd want to see contrasting styled forwards come into the team. And I think that David is proving this season compared to last season a real step up in his ability to score goals. Um, I think he's one off his Liga total from last season already. And he definitely needs to improve on that even further this season. But I think there's real scope for David to be an asset to Arsenal. And I think there's scope for him to improve into a sole striker as well. And he does that for Canada really well at times too. So look, I, I think that I you you're more than within the rights to have reservations about him alone. But I think that he, along with another a signing that could be made, would really kind of uh, help Arsenal next season and David would be an asset in that sense. Moss is coming for you as well now. Moss is coming for you, Tom, I'm telling you. I'm telling you. Um, let's take this one from, <laughs> I like this, from Invictus. Just going back to the football prizes, how do you frame a boot? It's a custom frame. And that's a really good question because I didn't think of that. And now you said it, I am thinking, how the hell do you frame a boot? But it's a custom frame. Uh, so it goes around the boot. So, yeah, a uh, good question, but yeah, there is an answer. Um, this one is for you, Tom. Uh, Harvey says, your thoughts on the reports, I'm guessing, that Fabian Ruiz has said no to Arsenal and yeah. he wants Real or PSG. First of all, do you know that to be true? Um, and, and are you surprised by that? Uh, yeah, so this is a report that came out of uh, Italy today. Uh, I'm trying to remember the name of the journalist. I think his name was Raphael something. Um, surname begins with A. Uh, in fact, I should still have it uh, in front of me somewhere. Uh, yes, uh, Raphael Ariema, uh, who's speaking on Area Napoli. He said, uh, I believe that Fabian Ruiz will leave Napoli at the end of the season. There's been a proposal from Arsenal, but I understand that the player doesn't want to join the Gunners. The midfielder is waiting for other offers, be they from PSG or Real Madrid. Um, I have no reason to doubt that information. Um, and I think this highlights, again, the importance that Arsenal get into the Champions League again as soon as feasibly possible to raise their stock. Um, I, I understand why Fabian would rather move to, say, PSG or Real Madrid, because in my opinion, from watching him, he's arguably the best central midfielder in the league alongside the likes of Barella, etc. So he has all the right in the world to, to want a move to the likes of Real Madrid and PSG. And he's good enough to play for those teams, in my opinion, as well. Um, my opinion is that if Arsenal have the chance to change his mind, try and do it. Absolutely. He's worth it. Go and try and change it, change his mind. But what we've learned from the Dusan Vlaovic situation in January is that we need to make sure that we got a backup. And there are plenty of backups, thankfully, in central midfield. I like Yuri Tillemans. I like Ruben Neves. Um, I like Tyler Adams from RB Leipzig. My colleague of mine, Josh Williams, at Reach, suggested uh, Florian Neuhaus as a possible option in midfield from Borussia Mönchengladbach. There are options out there that Arsenal can go for to play in this kind of a six-slash-eight role in front of Thomas Partey that Xhaka is currently playing in. So my thoughts are I'm not surprised he'd rather move to them because um, they can offer him guaranteed Champions League football at the moment. Uh, but we should try and absolutely get him. If not, there are other options out there. For sure. For sure. Uh, big hello like to him? Danny. Um, I, I do like him. I, I've, I've got the same the same issues that I have with Granite Xhaka, though. I think I would have with Fabian Ruiz. 
I think that Fabian Ruiz will give you more in terms of getting forward and, and, and is more effective when he does get forward and can score goals and, and all of that stuff and, and play those killer passes. But the same issues I have with Granit Xhaka that he just maybe takes a little bit too long to turn sometimes, maybe just isn't as mobile across the ground as he needs to be. And I'm, I, whenever I say not mobile enough, people always go, oh, but he covers loads of ground. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about his ability to get from A to B quicker yeah. than anybody else. And and I don't think that um, Fabian Ruiz has that either. And I think in the Premier League, a lot of people would end up sitting there saying the same things that they do about Granit Xhaka. Doesn't mean he's not brilliant technically. But again, like Jonathan David, I'm not not rating the player. I'm not saying he's no good. I, I just, I'm not sure that it's he what I would him. go for. Yeah, I hate him. Absolutely. Hate them all. Hate them all. Um, sorry, you can Alex. shout out Danny now. You can shout here out. He, here he is. Big Danny, how you doing, mate? Uh, welcome to the show. He says he's late. It's too cold to get out of bed. You know what I could have done with staying in bed all week, but not not been allowed to happen, unfortunately. Uh, some bloke says uh, you've upset an entire country. Going back to my <laughs> Jonathan David comments, I'm not surprised. Um, this one from KL. Tom, what do you think about Ben White playing DM and Saliba coming back in defence? Saliba wouldn't want to be on the bench. If we're going to play 174 extra games next season, we will need more than two good centre-backs, won't we? Yeah, look, I don't think that there's a need to to worry about Saliba coming back and, and White and Gabriel being there. Competition is healthy. It pushes each other to be better. And we've needed that in this Arsenal team. And look, if Saliba's attitude is that he should walk into the Arsenal team like and and you know if he, he's unhappy with them being there and he's uncomfortable and that's not the attitude I want I want players that are going to fight for their place I, I hope that Saliba has that and I'm not saying that he, he is of that mindset right now but I hope he comes back motivated to try and get ahead of, of Ben White and Gabriel the issue from an Arsenal perspective is whether or not Mikel Arteta uh, is sold on William Saliba. And at the moment, despite the intentions of my understanding is, is Saliba's intention to return, um, I I am concerned that Mikel Arteta himself is not still 100% sold, despite the fact he's, he's been the best centre-back in, in France this season, without a shadow of a doubt. Um, on the, the other question, which was about Ben White playing in midfield, I'm really not a fan of this. I say it a lot on my channel. He's a centre-back. He's a great centre-back. He's a perfect modern-day 2022 centre-back. Play him there and sign a defensive mid. Don't, don't put a square peg in a... Not a circular hole, but like a, a slightly curved edge squared hole, if you like. Yeah, no, I, I think you're right. I think you're right. Um, uh, let's take this one. DMC, Harry's pessimism. <laughs> I, I'm, apparently, I'm too positive. Now I'm too negative. I can't I, you win. can't win, mate. It's impossible. You can't win. <laughs> I can't win. Um, Sebastian says, opinions on João Felix. And just him as a player, I absolutely adore him. Tom, you know more about Spanish football than I do. Um, what's your view on this guy? Is, is he the real deal? Um, look, Joao Felix is a player that I think Atletico Madrid made a big mistake spending as much as they did. I don't think that's a wild opinion to say that they're spending 110, 120 million euros on him to replace Griezmann at 20-ish years of age was a mistake. It was. Um, and they should have been smarter with how they spent that money. He is still a talent. Um, I I think that, again, there's a similar kind of argument with the 
the Jonathan David and the Latara Martinez arguments that I think that they need another player next to them to really see the absolute maximum from those type. And I'm I'm not sure if we play the system that Joao Felix would suit. Uh, I don't I don't see him as an out and out number nine for us um, at all. I don't see him playing as a second striker in that ten role for us either. So that's my issue with Joao Felix. Is I don't think that we have the the squad for him. I see Jonathan David being more comfortable converting than I do say as Joao Felix, despite them being their similarities to their games. But I say I'm more confident in a David converting to play in this Arsenal system than I than I am Joao Felix. Yeah, I, I'm I'm not sure about Felix either. I, I I like certain things I've seen from him, but not convinced like you that he was worth the money that Atletico went and paid. Um, and and obviously that's not the be all and end all. Like there's, you know, I still think, for example, Nicolas Pepe can offer something to Arsenal, but I don't think he was worth the 72 million um, that we paid for him. But it's just the way it goes sometimes. Yeah. Sometimes we have to forget about the price tags and just judge based on what we've seen. Um, we are gonna leave it there. Um, Tom, thank you so much, man. It's been good catching up again after a couple of weeks and, uh, and we'll make sure that we do it again next week. Uh, just let everybody know uh, how they can get hold of your channel, your show, uh, the work you're doing and where they can follow you, you know, basically plug yourself. Thanks, man. I appreciate it. It was a pleasure. And uh, if you do enjoy these chats with uh, me and Harry, then you'll be able to find the next show, fingers crossed, next week on my channel, which is The Guna Talk. Uh, just type in The Guna Talk on YouTube. Uh, you can find me on Twitter at The Guna Talk TV. On Instagram, it's The Guna Talk. So, yeah, easy to find. You can find all my written stuff over on football.london uh, and, of course, more video stuff on the Arsenal way. If you want to see how bad I am at football, uh, we got a six-a-side video coming out on there very soon with putting up all of our six aside games now on the channel which is quite entertaining i'll give you a little bit of a spoiler i do score a bit of a banger this week so uh make sure you tune in for that one i am going to clip that though and definitely put that up on my twitter so you'll see it because it's going to be i'm going to ram it down people's throats this this goal because i was very very happy with myself that's for sure i don't score many as a defender so you know it's you got to take them when they come how do you how do you celebrate a goal though uh, I think I was so surprised. I don't usually celebrate because I'm so surprised that I have scored. I think though, someone who is obviously people catch on to the thing that there's a camera in the background and someone who was watching the sidelines saying he's got it on camera. So I think I pointed to the camera <laughs> during the celebration, which is just not like me, really. I'm just such a humble guy, as everyone knows, Harry. I never talk about myself ever. So uh yeah, just very uh, I was I was the complete opposite. I was running down <laughs> touchlines at eight years old doing this to grown adults and stuff. Um, <laughs> yeah, a friend so, of yeah. mine called Ben, when he celebrates, he does the he's a Chelsea fan, he does the Drogba celebration where he's just like running around the pitch just like that. Yeah, it's, it's great. I to be fair, I, I I am a bit of a fan of really rubbing it in, you know, the, the opposition's faces. Like <laughs> it's you know, yeah. I just love that shithousery if you like so yeah See, I've, I've got a big problem with poor goal celebrations but i can forgive it when it's a defender i think mm. like you know you, you don't do it often it. you don't really know what you're doing you know fine <laughs> whatever but then when i see people like harry kane for example right who scores so many goals and then does that awful jump and then goes or whatever the hell it is he <laughs> yeah. does it's like what a waste man or like alan shearer like with the armor like couldn't you get a bit more creative yeah. than that but Ah, uh, Bamiang's somersaults. That's I'm not going to do that. 
but you know that's the level that you want to see nanny was a great celebrator as well like yeah absolutely go mad go mental with them that's it somersault i'll probably end up breaking my neck or something <laughs> anyway <laughs> we'll catch you all next week thank you all so much don't forget to subscribe to both channels don't forget to hit the like button and we'll be back very very soon with more until next time take care and goodbye You're listening to the Chronicles of Aguna, the Arsenal podcast. I'm Martin Tyler, and you're listening to Harry Simeon.